This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Sir with Insider Perks. We are missing a ton of people today. Ruben, I think what we should do is we should overbook like the airlines. And then if we have too many people, we can just pick people at random who can't appear on the show. And we'll invite up. Yeah. We yeah. To, it's either technical issues or people run into things. We're missing Gary today. She's at, I think, another RVDA meeting or something in Saskatchewan. So she won't be joining us. Uh, David Force is supposed to join us with the glamping show. Had some kind of last minute emergencies, uh, little other business. So we really hope everything's okay with David. And then both Davids, David Force, here to talk about the glamping show. And then David Smith, one of our regular guests, couldn't make it as well. I don't know if we're missing anybody else. I think Irene's supposed to be here from, where's she from? Ruben? I'm sorry. Fields of Michigan. Okay. So Irene, and then we have another guy, Bobby, Robert from Firelight Camps, who's going to be joining us hopefully next month as well. So eventually we'll get this whole glamping thing sorted out and it'll be awesome. But in the yeah. meantime, well, we've got at least Mark and Kyle here from Base Glamp Revivify. It's a new glamping place in Washington, Seattle. And I still like, I do some of their marketing and I still mess up the city name every single time I talk about it. So did, it, did I get it right, Mark? You get, you did. You got it right this time. All right. It's awesome. Uh, That'll be one time all year. But yeah, super excited to have those guys here. They're going to tell us a little bit about what they've got going on and some of the really cool events and stuff like that. Ruben, before we get started, is there anything new that's crossed your desk? Perhaps we should briefly talk about the glamping show on behalf of David. Yeah, no, I'll channel my inner David, but we're excited for the glamping show that's coming up here in October. So still tickets available, I think. If I'm not mistaken, the indoor and the outdoor space is pretty much booked up, which is great. So might be some last minute spots to pick up as a vendor, but, but we're excited. A few new things. There's glamping on site this year for the first time, which is either good or bad in October in Denver, because you never know if you get seven feet of snow or if it's going to be 110 degrees. But uh, find out if they stand up, because I remember the last time I was there in person was the 2019 show, I think. And we had that three full days of sunshine and the last day it snowed on everybody outside. Exactly. Very Colorado, but it'll work. It'll work out great. Excited about that. We've got the investment connection, which is happening on that first, uh, on the Monday, which is CA members will be pitching to a room full of everybody and everybody in the space. We have the glamping basic session. And then of course, all the other great speakers and things that are going on. And so every year it gets bigger and better. And it really is fun just having everybody under one roof, like-minded individuals. It's very re-energizing, especially for some people after a longer season, as you get to October and maybe things are winding down and, and just to, um, just see old faces, meet new ones and, and see all the fun and exciting and creative stuff that people are doing. It's fun. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Brian, I know you'll be there looking forward to seeing you and, uh, and everybody else. And so, yeah, any, if there's any questions, feel free to reach out to us and we'll help you out along the way, but looking forward to the event in October. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Like it's been, I think, honestly, maybe I've been to one 
other in-person shows since before the, like I used to go to a mall. I think I, I went to 20 a year, all the state and the provincial ones and everything I could get my hands on. And then I've just, during the pandemic, I moved up to Canada and I just, I've been so busy with business. And obviously we all know how campaign and planting has exploded that I haven't had a chance to be back anywhere. I'm excited to come and see everybody again and do all that kind of stuff for old modern campground and Inciter. Yeah. Should be a great show. All right. Let's pivot here. Let's talk to Mark and Guile. We were sitting here very patiently while we just blather on about, uh, a, are you guys going to the glamping conference? No, we are not. Peer pressure time right now. <laughs> okay. okay. We'll bring it on. And time and limited resources. So that's our, um, certainly understand that. Under that's why I haven't been back and discussed. Yeah. So, no, so we're, we're uh, Palm Desert and, and scheduled to hopefully close on at the middle of getting prepared for that. You're breaking up just a little bit, Mark, but I know that you just said that I know from my own insider knowledge that you're looking to close on Palm Desert. I said, Kyle, do you want to jump in for him just a second while he fixes his audio? Uh, yeah, we're wrapping up a really awesome season of getting things going on our first glamping property and we've been doing really well and we're excited to pivot and recreate that experience down in the desert outside of Palm Springs between San Diego and Palm Springs in California to give people extend the summer season for folks. Like you said, it's getting cold. Snow is on the way. But if we just go south like the birds, we can keep it going a little bit longer, maybe into December, January. Then you just keep going south, right? Exactly. Mexico, Colombia, here we come. Uncle, yeah, you'll circle back around to Washington and in time for the spring again. It's perfect. We're, we're the migrating birds. Circular planet. Yeah, we can just do that. You don't even have to reverse course. But really, we had you guys on the show specifically, I think. Uh, the intention here was to talk about some of your unique things that you're doing. And obviously, we all know that clamping is very unique. There's lots of people. Lubin knows this better than anybody in the space doing thousands of different things with hundreds of different types of accommodations and all kinds of experiences. But one of the things that really sets you guys apart is some of your events and things that you're have and continue to be putting together both locations. You want to touch on those a little bit or? Yeah, I can jump in there. I'm actually getting ready to facilitate in a six day event up north here in the Bellingham area. But yeah, one of our core missions, both with the glamping and the retreats is to connect people to nature and to give them the tools and the opportunity to not just get outside, which is mission number one, get more people outside because the health benefits are pretty ridiculous and well-documented at this point, but to also give people the tools to participate as humans in the ecology, right? We are a human animal. We have been in a participatory relationship with our environment since the very beginning. And recently in our modern world, we've shifted into more of a reliance on technology, more of a sedentary lifestyle, more of a domesticated indoor life. And you see a big surge in people, you guys know this from the data, people want to get outside. They want to experience the world and we give them a safe, inviting, comfortable place to do that 
that it's not a survival trip. You're not like building a shelter and sleeping on the ground. It's you can get out and learn about wild edible plants, things you can forage in your area, animals that are trackable, as well as eating delicious local organic food and then sleeping in a bed in a beautiful, thick walled canvas tent. So we're trying to marry this idea of kind of like paleolithic lifestyle with modern conveniences and help people reconnect. Yeah, Mark, you want to jump in and add some? Yeah, I would just say that part of what you, Kyle, take the retreat is stimulate the environment. When we do ourselves a lot of good, if we can just and we can end up just sitting in our chair and not getting out and aspects, the tra tracking aspects in the woods as I've seen You're still, it. I'm sorry, Mark, you're cutting still in and out a little bit. Yeah. I was hoping it was getting better, but is it choppy for everybody else or is it just me before I accuse Mark of not having good internet? Yeah, there is, Mark, there is a delay on your audio. Do you want to maybe you try switching to your phone, Mark? It might work there. If you want to try to pop it on your phone like Kyle is, sometimes it's better that way. And I think Irene's here now, so she's joined us. Sorry, guys. Hi, Irene. Hey, Irene. Welcome. How are you? Good. Thanks for letting me. Just, I'm sorry. I'm a few minutes. No, you're good. You're good. Thanks for popping in. Happy Wednesday. Hope all's all is good. I'm actually on vacation. Stopping so. the video. Keep going, Irene. You're good. Mark's having a little. I am, which has never happened in the middle of the season. So I'm taking it in full stride. Good. Happy vacation. Thank you. Yeah. For joining us in the middle of your vacation too. You just want to not let us know where you are, which is why the camera's off or. Yeah. Yes. I'm actually in a bathing suit and my husband, you cannot join a beach. I'm like, but ah, maybe okay. I can. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell us briefly, since you're the, if we're, I know we're going to have you as a recurring guest, hopefully on the show uh, once a month here. You want to just introduce yourself briefly and tell us about uh, your business? Yeah, just, I guess, Reader's Digest is in wood. And, and I am the owner proprietor of the fields and is in Michigan. We are just closing in on our fourth year of a season. So I feel to catch, like I mentioned, Ruben and I had a few regarding the fields, its operation. I'm a huge, huge fan. I'm so curious and excited to join in on this chat. Yeah, we're really appreciative to have you here. And again, we, we wouldn't have asked you to join during your vacation as we have known. But thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Looking forward to learning more about your business. Go ahead, Ruben, please. Yeah. Every week at this time, Irene, you're going to have to just keep it consistent beyond vacation. Every single time. Yeah. Just <laughs> keep it yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no, and something that maybe we can dive into as well as we look at what's happening moving forward in the space. But the fields has done a really good job of taking something that obviously didn't exist before and turning it into a brand, right? A, a kind of world-class brand, which is very hard to do. And everything from brand to the development side, which developing any type of property from the ground up is just, it's hard. Everybody knows that, but it's harder to actually execute to event the events and then the training for the staff and really creating something that is something that we can all point to in the industry. Irene, all you have to do is just tell us all of your secrets and all your secret sauce. Um, you got it. You got it. I'm here for it. I think a lot of people just want to know how to take a vacation during busy season. 
Listen, I think a lot of it is, you got to remember, we're in training staff and creating systems around the guest experience so that you can plug a person in there who has, as, as we define some core strengths and as long as the field way, the deliverables are really consistent, but to get to that spot, the training, readums, and it happens. Awesome. Well, yeah, we're definitely looking forward. And if you want to jump off, Irene, by all means, like. No, no, I'm in. No, I'm 100 about this. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Good news. This yeah. is a very formal. The goal here always week in, week or month in and month out is just to talk about what's new and pose some questions and, and pretty informal. Really? All good. All good. Yeah. No. So to add, I just would tell you one of the things that I'm thinking about industry, and I was actually thinking about as it relates to the glamping show, Ruben is that segmented from the hospitality or hotel industry, but the hotel industry has really refined, defined a lot of operational standards that for some reason, I think the glamping had naturally adapted or taken those practices and said, hey, listen, if we apply those same practices that have been hotel, traditional hotel industry, how do we make this lamp really a natural extension of it are very seamless and i've been working on the presentation of kind of glamping basics 101 one of the things that i talk thinking about is in the presentation how do we talk about certainly the glamping industry but how do we define the glamping industry so that the knows exactly what they're purchasing so they're not disappointed and i'll use this as an example right now we have a competitor but somebody who is really close to us in proximity who does something. And guests will thinking they're showing up to our, our location and they're really pissed off. And part of the reason they're pissed off is guilds that has a level of a resort. And what they're just going to is a glimpse in a field and they're not getting those, those amenities. And you know, that guest, in my view, away from the industry because the industry, what I would would say is a hotel resort, a boutique resort. And, and I guess Ruben, or maybe this group in its entirety, what some of them are defining really what it is that glamping is, or is it still just a hodgepodge accommodation in the outdoors considered glamping? Yeah, that's a good, I'd be curious to see what everybody else thinks, but th this has been a question for a long time of we're not camping. We're not hotels, but we take a bit and pieces from each of it. And we can learn from each part of the industry. If we want to be lumped into this unique outdoor hospitality, we're still hospitality, right? And there are certain things that the hotel space has just done really well over decades and decades and decades that we can, from a unique outdoor hospitality space, learn from. And so I guess the question is more around also as glamping is and benefits from being unique and different in the fact that people don't go to the exact same type of operation every single time that they go, like glamping rewards this uniqueness. There's always this flirtatious line of where do we standardize versus where do we still need to be as unique and be as creative as possible? So I think that's a good point and a good question. And I don't know what everyone else thinks, but it's this, we're, because we're in this no man's land in a way of what people are used to. We've got to deal with what that looks like for 
expectations, standardization, because Irene, to your point, the person who shows up who might have thought, oh, this is not a resort with a X, Y, and Z in it. That's not necessarily a bad thing in that if every place is exactly the same, we become a cookie cutter industry that then where we become like the other industries. And so I think it's a line that we'll continue to flirt with, but something will have to shift at some point where I wouldn't call it standard standardization, but more best practices and standards to help people. But I don't know. I think it's starting expectations, right? Both from an industry's side and as well as Irene's talking about an individual property side as well. So they know what they're expecting. Yeah. It's like the person who shows up and has never been glamping before, thinks it's something that it's not, right? Because maybe it was advertised differently. They thought it was, had a bed, but then it, it's a mat on the ground or maybe the, uh, it, for whatever reason, just was, they never go glamping again. And that cost of acquisition for, for every single user becomes higher and higher when we can't keep people to come around and go again and again. And for some people it might be, we <laughs> In the past, we've always heard these comments of people who write in and say, there was a, I saw a snake or man, there was bugs. It's like, yeah, you're in the outdoors. That's just going to happen. And you got to deal with that. And, yeah. and maybe those people aren't right for the space and they should stay in hotels. But I think a lot of the growth over the last three years, four years has been this glamping continues to be this gateway to the outdoors and the people that we can take from the hotel space that said, and I'm used to going to hotel, staying in Dallas, staying in Nashville, going to San Francisco, staying in a hotel and going to do whatever. Now, sure, they're not going glamping every weekend, but it's part of their repertoire. The, the industry as a whole continues to reap benefits when we can, can get those people who use glamping as this gateway to the outdoors because maybe they didn't grow up in the outdoors. And what can we do? I think we'll get them in the door, but the bigger question is how do we actually keep them? What does it take to actually keep them coming back again and again? Yeah, I think well, way to the outdoors is a really good tagline. That's a really good idea. Like you're going to be outside, like you're going to be experiencing bugs and inclement weather and it's not heated. It's not air conditioned. So it is like this gateway to the outdoors that has both like the lovely, beautiful things of nature. It does have the challenges as well. But I like what Mark likes to say is it, it provides like the creature comfort. It's going to be a little bit easier. You have to bring the biggest feedback that we get from our clients is we brought too much stuff. And that well, I think is kind of an attachment. Yeah, we used to think about conditioning our guests. In our view, and I can give you some resources that show what that looks like is you condition your client prior to arrival, like they would a hotel. What we do is we tell them what, like almost like VRBO, I actually think VRBO does it best where you can build in some emails that are responsive to maybe the season that you're in. And so we run typically summer, fall, and each season brings with it a different sort of climate, packing list, different area. And so what we do is we have, we condition that with field guides. It was very easy to brand on that because we're called the field. So we call it the field guide and it provides them all, all the kind of magazine way, all, all the things that they can do 
to experience what the weather could be during their stay. So that they're conditioned. So if we're in the middle of, of locust season, they're hearing about it. If we're in the middle of Easter field and there's bees everywhere, we absolutely want them to know. If we're in the middle of fall, obviously fall, it's going to, the weather is going to shift. So we're constantly, because oftentimes we of doing that through your booking platform that makes it very seamless the heavy lift the heavy lift is actually in the curation of it and then we go in and take out the pdf that has spring and we input summer and then that summer one that they need and then we embed it in pdfs on our website so in the case that they generated one through the booking platform they're able to access it from our website touch point is we do send a final email about two weeks prior to their stay and in the you can condition your guests one of the things that that's what we found in your too much stuff we have guests showing up that think that they can plug in a microwave to what they will see and feel which they can do for your website through social media are you kid friendly are you not do you like dogs do you not those sources for us yeah, I think that's the key right there, Irene. Somehow, if we're going to standardize on something, it's, it, it would be a process on how to set the right expectations with the customer. Because we are admittingly glamping light. I'm sure we don't have the sort of amenities that you do, but we're in a really unique, hard-to-get-to kind of spot, and that's part of the appeal. So trying to say that if you're going to be a glamping facility, you've got to have these kind of amenities, would probably screen somebody like us out of being called glamping. I suppose the other option would be come up with a new phrase. But rather than splitting those hairs, I think what you were saying about setting the expectations. So when someone shows up, they know what they're getting into, what kind of amenities they're going to have, and what to bring, what the season is, all those things you just described. Yeah. Again, I, if you got like, no, just quickly, and then please jump in. But you know I, what I like about that, and that makes a lot of sense, is it's, the word expectations, right? If somebody feels like there was going to be Wi-Fi there and the full white glove service because it was maybe misrepresented on the website or maybe it was just, I mean, again, nowadays people's attention spans are six seconds. So they, the information could be clearly on the website, but then they just didn't see it or, but it's that situation where when expectations don't align to reality, that's when it's a big deal. If we tell people, it's a basic pack. Here's what it is. There's no frill X, Y, and Z. People know, okay, that's what it is. Everything's fine. But when there's that misalignment of, for whatever reason, it could be the host fault. It could be the guest fault, maybe a mixture of both. That's when I feel, yeah, exactly that, that the, that misalignment causes a lot of friction and then some external damage too, because then it's that whole simple phrase that we've known for ever and ever when somebody has a bad experience. Man, they love to tell everybody. They have yeah. one bad experience, and they shout about it from the rooftops, and they have a great experience. They still shout about it, but sometimes not even as, as much as a, a slight bad experience. Go ahead, Irene. No, I was going to say for, for sure. I always say we have 6,000 guests this season. I think we have 35, maybe on our like Google or Travelocity or Yelp or whatever it is. I, I don't, because I, I, I do know, but I, I can't, I think it's Google. And, but I have your room return guests and a lot of the noisiest guest is the guest you are basically if you're striking i always use batting averages but we'll even be better than batting average. if you have success rate 90 
percent of your guests that are leaving that are incredibly happy with what it is. There is a ten percent for us, but let's say two percent of guests that are just miserable and frustrated. And I just either we fucked up. Oh, excuse me, we messed up. Deliver <laughs> in some capacity. That happens, and then you have to eat it. You're like no one hundred percent we did it, or that there are unreasonable expectations, which happens as well. But I think that's one of the things for us, like, how do you define glamping? Is it, is it the word again, like most unaccompanied, meaning you're just checking in, nobody's there to host you. It's untouched. Automatically put the get the user, which they are users, finds the user with exactly what it is that they're looking for. Because at the end of the day, we feel like we're no less than 15 touch points with a guest bringing after their day, but that's what we modeled after. And for us, that was what we defined as success is that there's a lot of different operators that are out there that are, are wanting to maybe have having a couple of accommodations on some property that they, they already own. And that's a success for them. And we can't deny values of success on that. I have to be able to say that even still ramping or what I, I see to be experiential, I can't diminish what somebody else could. And that's the Airbnb, VRBO, Motel, hotel, boutique, hotel. There's lots of space in this arena. It's very fascinating to watch, excited about it. It's just a lot to think about because each year we go to the glamping show, which is a nation of the year's growth and the year's binoculars into the next. What's this industry going to do? And who are the makers that are going to make it happen? Because they're on this call are the ones that are also defining what the trajectory is because we're invested in it. Everybody, they're not, or they're hoping that there's some experts in the room. Again, they're looking to us to define what those, that's where a lot of my thought, time, and attention has been to, has been the definition, the standards by which each one of those kind of, is it a motel you enter through the back door, or there's valet, and you walk in, and that there is spa, restaurant, and service, right? And there is room for that. It's going to be really interesting to see the next few years growth in that area. Yeah, I think it's uh, just to jump in on two points here. I think with glamping specifically, it's going to be just like camping. And there's honestly just like hotels, resorts, motels, like you're talking about, like there's always going to be a different set of standards based on what you're trying to accomplish, what your goals are, who you want to attract. And so I think there are certainly a place for leaders like the American Glamping Association, like Glamping Hub, like these places like that to set a base expectation, not from a definition of glamping, but from maybe a categorical standpoint. And I don't know what those look like or what those words are, but I think that's people like glamping hub and the places where consumers flock are going to end up setting these standards almost by accident. And then you transition to the kind of expectation from the individual property level. And that's again, communicated through all the ways that we're talking about. It's not new to glamping. It's the same thing that's happened at hotels and campgrounds for 20, 40, 50 years, right? Except 50 years ago, the only expectations you had to set were on the billboard on the side of the road and maybe in the Good Sam guidebook that was printed. And now you've got to set expectations on Google My Business and your website and your email and your staff communication and over the phone and on chat and on 20 other places, right? Like you're talking about all your touch points, Irene. And so it, it takes some investment in either a person to help you do that or staff time to do it or you to do it. But those expectations are being shaped by how you present yourself. And if they're presented in a wrong way, not only are you going to lose business and potentially not attract more in the future, but you're going to not have the type of guests that will 
have the experience that you want to have. Funny enough on that, when the association first started, the mandate that people had at the beginning was this standardization, almost this, to define what a glamping unit is or isn't, and to create a star system. At that point in time, I think it was still, the glamping in general is still nascent and young compared to the hotel industry. I don't think anybody would argue that, but we made the decision not to standardize that or define it because we felt like at some point it would make sense, but to what benefit, right? So for example, back then, if we would have said, here's what a glamping unit is or isn't, we didn't really accompany containers or domes or things that were coming to, to light and were really innovating. And I still think that the U.S. glamping market compared to some of the other international markets is very in spirit where it's very innovative. There's something new and different every week. There's there and to contain it in a way or define it, I think has some benefits, but the question is going to be to what benefit? Because it obviously has some negatives, right? You put something in a bucket, it doesn't allow it to naturally grow. You don't let the market decide. You don't let the innovation really take root and, and shape. And what does that do? But then you look at it on the other side, there's always an argument of it becomes harder to grow at the county level because counties don't know how to define this and they need some type of standards to be able to approve it. And investment needs some type of standardization because they also need data around it. They want to classify it because they need to put numbers together so they can figure out how risky this is. So I, it's interesting because I don't know the answers to, I don't know the answers to, to most things in life, but you know, this one in general, it, it's interesting because it's a conversation that's been going on for a while. And I guess my mind always goes back to, to what end, right? Like by the industry still very nice compared to the hotel space and by making some of those calls or decisions or whatever that might be, I think will eventually happen. And then the question is going to be to what benefit? Because we've seen this, Brian, to, to the, one of those last conversations of what has happened in the RV space and how that has caused some friction when it comes to the nasty S word of standardization. What does that do for us? And I think there's good and bad, and I don't, I don't really know where we are with it, to be honest. I think the easiest way to set standards is just to continue to guide people with best practices. And then you set standards without calling them standards or intending to, right? As we educate more people on, just like in campgrounds, why does we educate more people on Wi-Fi is important and clean bathrooms are important, which seems like we should already know that, but there are still new operators coming into the space. There's still people learning. There's still people understanding. But those are, I think, are, as we repeat those things over and over again, setting standards without setting standards, if that makes sense. Hey guys, this is a great chat. I got to go, but I'm really loving it. I'm stoked you guys are doing this. Thanks again for the opportunity. And I look forward to watching this later. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate you joining us. All right. Take care, guys. And sorry, I didn't. Um, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things that, and Ruben, I'm so excited. And I think that this is an opportunity too, because you're sitting in a room with, say, 200 brand new objects, find what it is that they are going to do with their business. And in doing it, I have this five acre land, land conditions and zoning allows me to do it. I can call myself land, but I could then have a location that has sites could have these amenities and those amenities would allow me to call myself X, which then would allow Y, I might make the investment to do that. And so I think that there is that again, not that this group has to define what that is, but as the standard of site and amenities, 
continues to refine. And then those operators say, I'm interested in ADR and a revenue of X and I can get there property that has this. I think that would make it a muddied water industry. But we will have a ton of operators or interested operators going because the industry says so. How do I zero in on exactly what's or brand and business? And back to kind of what we chatted about the field. It has one location license. I know exactly what I would tell an operator that they could do in order to call themselves the fields and then resort, a glamping resort. And I could, I would be able to define that because establish your brand, set some rules on what it is, what it looks like, what the ADR looks like, client base that has a following that's like, I'm interested in apps. And it's just, it's, there's not been a hospitality industry that's had the runway, the accessibility this has. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, and then let's maybe flip it on its head. And if we want to finish this conversation before I slip it, then please interject Ruben or Irene and tell me we have more to talk about. But just talking about expectations and what you're talking about from an operator standpoint too, there's also that flip side, right? What are the operator's expectations of who they're going to attract or where they're going to build or how many people they're going to get the first week, month, year, 10 years. I think there's a lot of people right now in this industry, same with camping, right? After the pandemic with dollar signs in their eyes. And so how do we, how it's the flip side of that, Ruben, how do we set expectations for owners that yes, this is a great industry to get into if you do it right. But then is there a definition of right? The, and the, so where my mind went, as you guys were doing those comments, where I remember it was really not even that long ago, but even when we first started pushing, this is right at the beginning of my involvement in this space years and years ago, glamping still had a negative connotation in a way, right? People like, ah, glamping, I don't know. It's really expensive and that's just not what we do here. And I wouldn't go glamping. And then people go glamping the first time and they say, oh yeah, I don't know why I haven't been doing this all the time. But still there was a brand awareness, a brand, you call it negativity to it because people just didn't really understand it. And it obviously made huge leaps before the pandemic. And then obviously during the pandemic, and as you talk about dollar signs, people started to look at the math of what glamping meant versus traditional hospitality and the price per key and how glamping was just a great way to enter and a great investment into hospitality in general. But it, it's a nice reminder that there have been, will continue to be. And I remember certain small, medium, and large operators wanted to stay away from that word, as in, we don't want to be. We are, but we want to be our own thing. And so I think that's the interesting fluidity of this market is that as we look at trying to define in any way, shape or form, because of the nature of the space and how unique it is, how, how much creativity and innovation happens, it's just going to continue to happen. So for example, the hotel space, yeah, you can innovate in a way, but a lot of that stuff has already been done and people in the hotel space are continually trying to find ways to create something different new, but you have restraints, right? There's certain codes that you have to build to. There's certain models that investors really like. And so it'll be interesting to see even just that term, as you guys were talking, that really just jumped in my mind, this whole, it, everything you're saying, I agree with, but then also there's even just the term itself. What does that mean to operators? And what does that mean to operators who maybe don't want to gravitate towards that term, but they're all, but for all intents and purposes, they are 
glamping, but maybe they want to be unique hospitality or maybe they want to be outdoor hospitality. Yeah. Or what does that mean? Yeah. Outdoor hospitality or what? Yeah. It's really interesting. I was doing a, so I think, when you know this, when I started the field, once I worked with a market, like branding slash marketing strategist to define what the branding market is and how to hit them really got me in front of my very, very dream target over two, which I knew then would be repeat guests, which I knew then would be my ideal guest. Talked about what was actually at great length was actually the word glamping in my demographic, my target demographic. So let's say for instance, is between the ages of 40 and 75, somebody who's a multi Say you're a traveler, conscientious consumer who has camped, is away from camping, is more of a boutique hotel traveler, who, but they're looking at me like a weekend traveler. They're coming to see me for the weekend. They have in pocketbook and they're happy to just spend their money. The word glamping actually steered them away. A lot of our marketing material, we would not use it because they saw glamping as, I don't know if you saw Peppa Pig did this whole thing on Peppa Pig with glamping and Barbie did a glamping some of the, the OC what are they called housewives where it seems very kitschy and it was how do you if that how do you scare people away from the kitschy stuff and get it to be where it's really authentic and so Mexico uses the term grounded luxury which is one of the things that we've applied to for just the reason that you said. So once you define glamping, what do you do with people that want to read? It is, it's again, it's just those trees navigating through. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. We're still in such a young part of the industry and admittedly like Europe is, I would consider Europe farther, way farther ahead of us. Glamping space, right, Ruben? Yes, in time for sure. They say, I think the, most operations or people there would say they've been doing this for a lot longer, but they're jealous of the bling canvas. And we have where obviously there's always so much real estate in the United Kingdom, where you look at just the pure real estate in the United States, it's a pretty open campus. So yes, agree. Yeah. So, I so Ruben, let me ask. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, oh, I was going to say, so Ruben, let me ask you this with all that information. I don't want to say the power of the conference that's going to take place in a month. What are the things more of a, a guide, like almost like a psychiatrist that's just guiding people? Do you feel like you're more of a Sherpa, which is, this is the trail blazing. We believe that it doesn't just continue to be convoluted. And then because of its convolution or the way to define it, it just vacates. Yeah. I think one of the mistakes, I don't call it mistakes, but... Uh, one of the challenges that some of the European markets when outdoor glamping unique accommodation over the last decade had been, they were very comfortable with the buckets that they had. We were bell tent, we're a safari tent, we're a shepherd's hut. That's it, right? They didn't really, it was different. We talked to manufacturers that are in the UK and that are selling now in the United States and they laugh because they say, wow, we actually just sold, somebody just bought what quote unquote us small order which was 15 units that would be a ginormous order in the uk and so i think they painted themselves into this is what we do we're this type of accommodation we don't really the experiential based travel part of it eh, we come here we read 
we drink wine, but we're not fly fishing, rock climbing, mountain biking, doing all that stuff. Cause some of it was just, they didn't have the real estate for it. They have the space that they have and that's kind of it. And so I think it's important moving forward that you let the market do what it needs to do. There's, you know, great accommodations and great operators that are starting every day. And I do worry if you define it, especially maybe the position that we have, the danger becomes you suppress some of that creativity and innovation that I think in certain ways, and some of it is real estate driven in, in other markets where they just don't have all these national parts. You don't have, you look at the size of just Texas, how many countries can fit in Texas. You look at all of that and you say, I think it's still growing up. I still think you have to water it and put some guardrails on it so that people can get to their version of their finish line, but you have to do so in a way that's very careful because you don't want to stunt the, and there's, you don't want to stunt the growth, right? There's going to be things that by letting it do what it needs to do and grow wild, there's still going to be that kind of wild west aspect of it. That's going to create problems. There's no, we see them right by not restricting, by not standardizing there's some unique problems that will come up. But I rather almost deal with those than you look at the site. It, this, what we have now is definitely a big economy. It's a big industry. I use those manufacturer numbers and that's hundred percent true. Or why do you think all of the European manufacturers, we have a lot of many European manufacturers that come to the glamping show. They see the blank canvas and the opportunity to sell here. And not that the European economy for glamping has plateaued. It's going to have limitations when you look at what they can sell in one country in Europe versus what they can sell in one state. You look at just even Texas right now, everything in the Texas Hill Country has gone bonkers for development. I don't know how many new ones just went up this year. And so I think there's a level of just guardrail, as you say, and, and Sherpa, like you said, Irene, of yeah. making sure that it's moving in the right direction. But I choose being able to deal with some of those Wild West issues that might come up versus stunting growth. Yeah. Well, I think I agree with and you. Then, and that was kind of back to my, I'm sorry, Irene, that was back to my, what I was trying to get at. My original point is not setting, I don't think you should decide to define it either. I don't think you should set standards either necessarily. But I think by having the weekly calls with the AGA, for example, by having the individual conversations that you do with so many people, Ruben, by having shows like this, where Irene and Bobby and David and everybody is going to contribute to this discussion, I think you're going to help set those guardrails. I think my two cents in hearing everybody talk is, Ruben, you mentioned early on there was an evaluation or consideration to defining stars. What's a one-star place? What's a two-star place? What's a five-star place? And that can, I think, help guide some of the expectations as far as what the amenities might be and give people to shoot for something to shoot for that if you want to be a five-star, here's what that means. If you want to be a four-star, we back out some of those things and here we are. And it can help with the expectations of the operators who are trying to get in this and where am I going to be and with customers and folks that are wanting to come visit as far as anticipating what they're going to get. Go ahead, Go ahead Sorry. No, it's so interesting because I agree. I was thinking about, I agree with it at all. One of the things I would tell you is everyone knows this. I get a lot of aspiring operators who, and I think it's, there's no like franchise show or there's the franchise for the fee of collective retreats and you're going out and you're getting a book and you know exactly how to plug and play some formula for success or a formula for and that's the case and, and some of it is that because i want every fuse and 
that wants in just my natural tendency is just so I want to standardize that as I'm just thinking and listening. And one of the things to do is kind of say, I know how to standardize that high touch perfected, but I do high experiential resort esque. What I do know is that there's space for something else and I can appreciate it. I'm just not the operator of it because that's not my kind of shtick, but I am loving gold and some space for all of it. Yeah, for sure. There is for everybody who's like a Mark who wants get, to get people to disconnect and enjoy nature and do all the, the learning about hiking and following animal tracks and all that kind of stuff, which is for sure a market for there's somebody who also wants to bring the modern life as close to nature as possible and give them all the texts and gadgets and gizmos they are still looking at trees and reflective houses and all those kinds of things. And so I think you're right, Ruben. Again, it's all circling back to the same thing. I think we're, we can set guardrails without setting standards. I think that's a yeah. perfect approach. Yeah. And good. The unfortunate or fortunate thing is that there's been the last year I unofficially uh, jokingly, but not jokingly dubbed it the year of development. There's just unprecedented amount of development, construction, land acquisition, hotel groups coming in. I just hadn't seen anything like that before. And so we'll continue to see more and more units on the ground than we've ever seen. And at some point, I don't know when. To your point, you have these different categories within the space, the high touch, the low touch, the more amenities, less amenities, a hundred units, 10 units. There will be enough data at certain point, five, 10 years down the road, where that consolidation in the space will need to happen because there'll be some losers, right? They're just, there will be some that they can't compete. Maybe now that there's 10 other glamping operators in a five mile radius from them, maybe things shake and change, you know, since we've gone through the pandemic, I always say I'm done predicting. We just think it's a fool's game now in, in certain ways, but with the amount of development that's happening, something will shake up and there'll be, I don't want to call them winners and losers, but there'll be more data and information around what really works well in this space and what doesn't. I think we're still at this time and point in the space where we're yet to see some of the best operators. We're yet to see some of the biggest growth. We're yet to see some of the most creative projects. We're yet to see most things we're still very in the infancy stage of this, right? You think of the amount of time that even just RV parks have been around, that campgrounds have been around, that hotels have been around, bed and breakfast. We're nowhere near that, like nowhere near that here in the States. So we have to let things play out, shake out. And at that point in time, whenever that is, it'll be interesting. It really will be to see the, for lack of a better term, the kind of the category winners. But I think what you're seeing here is like in every industry, right? There's a line here and I don't know how to like there, my finger is straight on the camera, <laughs> but there's a line here and we're going to keep pushing that forward and pushing it forward and pushing it forward and pushing it forward. And so there's always forever going to be winners and losers. And that's going to be defined by what they choose to do and not do and where they choose to locate, not locate, how much research they do or don't do and whether they continue to innovate what they've built. And that's, I wrote a fascinating stat the other day. I've always known it, but I never knew the numbers that in the fifties, like the average time span for a company is like 50 some years. And now it's down to 18 because people stop innovating. It's one of the things Bezos used to preach all the time at Amazon. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with winners and losers, because for me, from my perspective, I like losing because then I learned how to do as long as you're willing to lose in a non-fatal way, lose little in the beginning, then you can adapt to that and you can become a winner. Like that. All right, everybody else is going to be quiet. We got six minutes left. Is there anything no, no, no. you guys would like to share? 
Oh, Irene's not going to be quiet. Okay. No, no, no. I guess one of the other questions I have is, what is your, everybody's going to be headed to the glamping show, but what are the ways that we can be supportive, whether it's through social media, whether it's through invites, whether it's through reach-ins, it's you. That's a good question. You know, I've always said, and this is just where we sit in the industry, but the best thing that people can do right now from what you do, Irene, Mark, Brian, everybody is just make the best version of your business as, as possible, right? The more successful you guys are, the more innovative and great things that you do, everybody looks at you and says, wow, that's very inspirational. That's where I want to be X amount of years down the road. And it, because of how new still the space is compared to other hospitality industries, the more success stories are, the more great experiences people have, the more proven business models that we can point to just allows for the industry to, to really move in the right direction as it has been, but still continue to move in the right direction. And it's the whole kind of rising tides analogy. And that's really the best thing. It's a selfish thing, but it's almost like you do you be the best version of you. And that really positively affects the whole industry because of the more business you guys are doing, the more places people have to stay, the more things that they're saying, the better reviews, the really, and, and honestly, that is the best thing that people can do is just really continue to dominate their daily business goals and what they do. And, and then we all win. We really do. It's a strange thing to think about, but that really is. And one of the ways, one of the biggest ways in my opinion, at least that you continue to dominate is by listening to everybody else, by talking to the Rubens and the Irenes, going to the glamping shows and talking to all those people, because. They all may have the next best idea that you need to take your business to that next level, to be an inspiration to somebody else. It's all a circle that beats everything else. Yeah. And to, to your point, Ruben, I would argue that the competition is not winners and losers in the glamping space. That's going to happen. The competition is hotels, Disneyland, cruise ships, amusement parks. And when we show families and people that their vacation spent in those hard-earned dollars, then what, whatever we're calling it or whatever the standards are, we're going to have plenty of people being successful. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. I think historically, the hospitality industry overall, and that includes both overnight accommodations and places like I was talking about, like Disney World and everywhere else, that for a long time, there's been a Disney World that caters to millions and millions of people. But I think part of what the glamping industry and experiential hospitality is going to do is split that into a thousand different audiences. And there may be a thousand different Disney worlds that cater to people in a thousand different ways that split that audience apart. And they all now can enjoy, like they all would have loved Disneyland, but maybe they're going to love this experience two or three times more than they did before because it's unique and catered to exactly what they want. But to... Well, Ruben, what are the, what are the things or, I would tell you? No, I agree with all of the above. I think there's just a, a level of excitement is what I'm just fascinated by. When you're, it's just the next best thing. They're constantly trying to outdo one another. And they're so unique. But this industry is everybody's just, I don't know, still lending a hand. Say is, I love competition sharpens knives. It really has you hyper-focused deliver and how you deliver it incredibly well. With very, I'll just say this, getaway. Which is a national brand opened up 10 
Niall sold out. Like I, because what they do is not even remotely close to what we do. And, but it does have me hyper-focused on what it is that I do. So I think that's part of the, it's just going to be proven. We're, I'm super supportive. I'm saying you'll see me as a strong cheerleader for the, the show in a couple of weeks. It is a very interesting, and again, we're almost out of time here and probably shouldn't open up this can of worms, but it is a very interesting thing to say. And, and I think this is true across all industries, whether it's glamping or airlines or whatever, it's very hard to be a jack of all trades. And so, if, and again, I'm opening up a can of worms here, but it's just like a campground who adds cabins or glamping. You can be successful doing it, but at what point does a jack of all trades get bested by somebody who specializes in glamping? Or is there enough of an audience for all of it? I don't know. I think it's still shaking out. Yeah. For the okay. next show. For the next show, which Eileen <laughs> will be for back on vacation. Yes. And on camera with us. Yes. And we'll have Bobby and we'll have David Smith. Bobby from Firelight Camps, David Smith from Outside Capital. Correct. Yes. Thought I was getting old, but managed to nail that one. We got it. Still uh, good. Ruben will be joining us again, as always. So I want to wrap up the show. I know everybody's got busy schedules and Irene's got to get back to vacation. Mark, thank you for joining us. Uh, please send the same to Kyle. Really appreciate him being there. I wish you guys all the success at Base Clinic Revival Fly, both in Washington and in Palm Desert. Super excited to see what you guys do and accomplish down there. Sorry to miss you at the glamping show, but we will see all of you here, Ruben and Irene. And I think next week we're going to have our regular campground owners focus show on MC Fireside Chat. So anything you want to add before we wrap up, Ruben? Or all good. Thank you guys for joining. We'll see you next time. Awesome. And then thank you for our sponsor, Let's Camp 2. I forgot to mention them at the beginning of the show, but really appreciate it with them for sponsoring us. So take care, guys, and we will see you next week. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.